my friends. Welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Wendy McGinnis, and if you've been following along, we've just kicked off our study of the book of Mark. John is also at times called the book of signs, signs of Jesus's divinity, that is. In John 20, 31, John explains, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. In today's podcast, we are going to discuss a key event in Jesus's life, an event that clearly demonstrated his spiritual leadership and heart for his people. In today's podcast, we will discuss Jesus's cleansing of the temple. Last week, we learned of Jesus's first sign and miracle when he turned water into wine at a marriage ceremony. Don't you wish you could have personally witnessed this? Jesus calmly instructing the servants to fill the empty jars with water And when they dipped their glasses into the jars, there no longer was water but the finest wine to enjoy. Talk about a showstopper. With that miracle, we witnessed Jesus take his first step into public ministry. When Jesus turned the water into wine, he followed the will of his father and allowed himself to be placed into the spotlight. He also spared this newly married couple and their families from embarrassment and shame. But the real message was clear. This was no carpenter's son. This was the divine son of the living God. And today, we'll continue our reading in John 2 when Jesus very publicly cleanses the temple. Before we get into the details of this passage, I'm going to tell you a somewhat embarrassing aspect of who I am. We'll see if any of you can relate. In our lesson books, our icebreaker asked, are you neat or are you messy by nature? Did any of you pause before writing your answer like I did? I felt like I was sitting in a recovery circle and needed to introduce myself. Hi, my name's Wendy, and I've been messy for 39 years. Now, I'm not messy in a dirty hoarder type of way. I'm messy in a I have multiple drawers that I would not want anyone to be opened kind of way. I tend to create piles in each room that need attention, like old mail that needs to be sorted on the kitchen counter, or to be read book piles on nightstands and dressers, or folded laundry hampers that need to be put away in each room, or maybe some homeschool books stacked on the island. That kind of messy. This isn't trash. It isn't useless. It does serve a purpose, but it adds up to messiness that requires cleaning since things aren't in their proper place. Even though I'm aware that an untidy home can lead to lost items, more stress, and unnecessary delays, I still can fall into the trap of not maintaining order and structure. I've been married for almost 18 years to my dear husband, who is basically the definition of Mr. Neat. He takes care of his things, he's very organized, he purges possessions as a sport, he loves bare counters, and despises visual noise. So you can imagine the effort and intentionality it takes for me to create a space that is relaxing and welcoming to my amazing Mr. Neat. Can any of you relate? The second part of our icebreaker question was, what's a sure sign for you that it's time to clean house? When things are out of order, nothing is in its rightful place, and the home feels chaotic, It's time to take action. For me, I'm especially motivated when people are coming to my house. I think it's fair to say that almost every woman sprints into cleaning action when she knows someone is coming over to her house. Things are stashed into drawers, thrown into the garage, cleared from the counters, and vacuumed up at lightning speed. My family always jokes, oh no, mom's on a mission to clean. Someone must be coming over. As women, we want our homes to appear tidy, organized, and clean. So when we hear about cleaning, it's an area we are very familiar with. But today's passage isn't about Jesus cleaning the temple. It's about Jesus cleansing the temple. That is quite different. Cleaning is typically the act of removing dirt or clutter from surfaces. Cleansing, on the other hand, refers to a more thorough process of purifying or detoxifying something to its very core— 
Cleansing involves aggressive actions that proactively drive out impurities from an entity, whether it's a body, a mind, or even a temple. The temple was not functioning with its intended order and structure. It was polluted with hypocritical religious leaders who had turned the temple into a money-making enterprise that was taking advantage of God's people. And that did not make Jesus happy. The temple needed to be cleansed. So let's read our passage and dig in. John 2, 13 through 16 says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. We'll stop there. When studying scripture, I've tried to make a practice of utilizing the SOAP method. S is start with the scripture. O is observe it and see what sticks out. A is apply it to your life. And then P is pray about it. Today, we will do all four together to practice. We've read the scriptures, so now let's make our observations by uncovering the who, what, where, when, and why of the passage. Let's gain context together. Who is our main character? It's Jesus. Jesus reveals his zeal for doing the will of God in this passage. Jesus is not meek, mild, or even-tempered. He is upset, and for good reason. We will come back to that part later, though. When is this happening? In the beginning of John 2, Jesus had just finished his first public miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He then went to Capernaum where he stayed for a few days. And then in verse 13, where we pick up, John tells us that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. So what's happening in this passage? Like many other Jews, Jesus made this journey to the temple in Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover celebration. This was a widespread obligation. Each Jewish man was required to travel to the holy city for this celebration. So imagine a bustling crowd of travelers. If you had to compare it to a modern-day example, picture trying to get into a Chargers football game at SoFi Stadium. You shuffle shoulder to shoulder through the crowds, your tickets grip tightly in your hand, past the street vendors and ticket scalpers to get to the stadium gates. For the ancient Israelites, the evening of Passover would culminate in a sacrifice. Ideally, an unblemished lamb from one's household would be sacrificed at the temple. If someone didn't have a lamb or couldn't bring one on their journey to the temple, they could purchase one outside the temple gates. Many families would choose not to travel with this unblemished animal in fear that it would get sick or die even during the journey to Jerusalem. Instead, they would often sell their unblemished animal before their journey and bring their proceeds to purchase a new animal upon arrival at the temple. So the sight of money changers at the temple was not an unusual or inherently wrong. They were providing a needed service for those traveling in to visit the temple. But Jesus saw that many of them were taking advantage of the poor and basically stealing from them in the name of God. Let's talk about the where, the details of the temple. Picture the scene. I love HGTV and all home decor shows, so I was excited to learn about the temple that became known as Herod's Temple. The main building was 15 stories tall, gleaming with white marble and gold. It included the inner sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant was protected. A thick veil separated this most holy place, and no one could enter this area except the high priest, and even then, they could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. Can you imagine the ambiance that would accompany such a beautiful and sacred place? 
The courtyard surrounding the holy place was where the priests would bring their daily sacrifice. And beyond the temple court, there was an area for Jewish men to meet and observe temple proceedings. Beyond this was the court for Jewish women who were not permitted any further. The outer court of Gentiles was accessible to anyone who wanted to come and pray and worship. This is the location where the money changers and merchants set up their shops. You can tell by all of the detail that there was a very specific order and way in which activities at the temple should function. And that's where Jesus and his disciples enter the scene and are upset by the condition. Why is Jesus so upset by what he sees in the temple? Jesus had a reverence, respect, and expectation for the temple as an earthly focal point of God's presence. He expected the temple to be a house of prayer where burnt offerings and sacrifices could be brought to the Lord in reverence. But what he found was quite different. Although some might think that Jesus was upset by the mere presence of the merchants and money changers, further study reveals that he was upset by the way these money changers and merchants were handling their service. Their focus was not to support the pilgrims in their goal to worship the king. Their focus was to take advantage of the people's desire to worship as a means to garner unreasonable profits. They were not in their rightful place in the temple boundaries, and they were taking advantage of those who were purchasing from them. They were charging exorbitant prices for the animals and offering unfair money conversions. These merchants and money changers were intended to provide a convenience that allowed people to seek and worship the Lord, but instead they were creating barriers and hindrances. Let's break that down a little further. First, Jesus had a passion for the purity of his father's house. The temple was meant to be a place of worship, sacrifice, and prayer, but instead priorities shifted out of order and chaos ensued. Instead of it being a sacred place, the focus had shifted to a money-making operation. Something that started out with good motives and intentions morphed into something that distracted from the true purpose. What made Jesus even more upset was that the business was carried on in the courts of the Gentiles in the temple, the place where the Jews should have been meeting the Gentiles and telling them about the one true God. Any Gentile searching for truth would not likely find it among the religious merchants in the temple. And second, Jesus was protective over the poor and low in spirit. We see throughout scripture that Jesus had a special heart for the poor and these merchants were taking advantage of the poor. In verse 16, Jesus singles out those who sold doves and cried, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. If someone couldn't afford a spotless lamb, they could instead purchase doves as their sacrificial offering. In Hebrew tradition, the dove was clean according to Mosaic law and sacrificed in rituals of expiation, especially by the poor. Now that we've pinpointed the who, what, where, when, and why, let's talk a little bit about application. In verse 17, John speaks of Jesus' passion for God's house. He had so much love and reverence for the temple that he couldn't contain his frustration. He wanted the place he loved to be treated with respect. He also wanted it to be a place that it was intended to be, a house of prayer and worship. In its current condition, it was not fulfilling its purpose. And here's where the practical application comes in. Jesus cleansed the temple to get it back into working order. We are responsible for cleansing our own figurative temples. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 reminds us, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies, which includes our minds, are temples of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Consequently, we should not defile them. We should actively cleanse them as Jesus cleansed the physical temple. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, you will know that I'm a huge fan of acrostics. 
My simple brain needs easy ways to remember key points and application reminders. In this podcast, we're going to use the word temple. How can we cleanse our temple? T. T is for take inventory and toss out sin. Before we can cleanse our temple, we need to assess what in our life needs purification. Remember back to our definition of cleansing. Cleansing refers to a more thorough process of purifying or detoxifying something to its very core. Driving out impurities, and in this example, tossing out sin and distractions from our body, mind, and soul, is our essential first step. What sins, hidden or public, need to be eliminated from our lives? We can't cleanse our temple if we are actively soiling it with sin and disobedience, or if we are not even willing to do the necessary self-examination. Jesus gave us that memorable example in our passage by using a whip to physically and aggressively drive out the sin. It's a call to action. Our Bible verse this week is the perfect prayer to begin this process. Psalm 139, 23-24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So take inventory and toss out sin. E, e is for engage in your church. Matthew six twenty one says, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Once we cleanse ourselves of sin and distractions, we then have a choice as to how we will spend our time. We invest in what we care about most. Are we mindful and passionate about our church like Jesus was about the temple? Sign up to serve as a greeter in children's ministry, as a small group leader, or as a parking attendant. The options are really endless. We don't serve out of an obligation or because we must, but because we glorify God and fulfill our purpose in doing so. The book of James reminds us that faith without works is dead. Sometimes our faith has minimal fruit because it's not the real, actionable, noticeable faith of the Bible. M is for meditate on God's word. This one is simple. We need to know God's word to live out God's will. Jesus desired for the temple to be a sacred place of worship and prayer. Every time we open our Bibles to fill our minds with truth, we worship and please our maker. P is for pick your attitude. As the temple manager, we get to pick our attitude. We can be selfish and prideful, or we can be others-focused and humble. Think back to those merchants. They started out with good intentions and service in mind, but things went sideways when they allowed their selfishness to overrule. Their attitudes went from others-focused to me-focused. L is for love the lost. Invite someone to Sunday service or Bible study with you. The commission is great. Jesus always saw people in the desperation of their need and in the fragility of their faith. Just in the book of John so far alone, Jesus saw the newly married couple that needed more wine at their ceremony. He saw the poor temple visitors who needed to purchase a dove for their sacrifice. He saw them. Are you seeing those around us that need the saving grace of Jesus? Invite them to church. You might open the door to a much-needed conversation. And lastly, E is for encourage one another. Get in a community where you pour truth into one another. There's a Chinese proverb that says, Tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I may remember. Involve me and I'll understand. We can learn and grow in relationship with God by gaining biblical understanding, all while forging long-lasting and valuable friendships. 
Hopefully the acrostic temple helped you consider some changes that you may make to cleanse your mind, body, and relationships. Jesus showed us with his example that we can't sit back and allow selfishness, pride, and worldliness to overtake us. Jesus loves people, and during his life on earth, he wanted people to know that they didn't have to live in sin or to live stringently by the law. They simply needed forgiveness through him, and the same is true for us today. Let's go ahead and end in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are deserving of our praise and adoration. You reign over the entire earth, yet you still care for us as individuals. We are thankful for this reminder and example of Jesus cleansing the temple. We ask that you convict us of our sin and renew a right spirit in us. We desire to have cleansed temples that are glorifying to you. Help us to encourage one another and build each other up in this new commitment. In Jesus' name, amen.